Amen. Well, the Olympics are over, but one of the athletes that uh, people keep talking about is Simone Biles. Simone uh, Biles was, is one of the most decorated gymnasts uh, ever. And as she went to the Olympic Games in uh, Tokyo, uh, she was expected to continue to uh, win medals and, and uh, not a rookie, but a veteran and a very skilled one at that. But during the Olympics, there came a time where she began to, to uh, get uh, uh, just insecure and uh, her mental stability wasn't there. And she decided to withdraw from some events and uh, as she dealt with things that she's been a victim of in the past. And when she decided to withdraw from those events, some people became critical. Some called her a weak person in character. Uh, and so forth, but others were very supportive and, and wrote things of encouragement on social media. And when the encouragement uh, poured in, then Simone uh, posted in her Twitter account, the outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize that I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. I am more than my accomplishments and gymnastics. So true. Our identity does not come from our accomplishments. Our identity doesn't come from what has happened to us. Our identity doesn't come from what we do. In fact, what we do flows out of our identity, but not the other way around. So it's important that we know who we are because it will make a difference in how we live. Today we are wrapping up a series that we've called Boot Camp. It's based on the letter to Titus. It's a short letter and we're coming to the end of it. And as we do, we've called this message Field Excellence because here we see this kind of uh, expectation uh, by the Apostle Paul of what is supposed to happen as a result of what he's asking Titus to do. So I'd like for you to go with me to almost the very end of the letter. Verse 14 is actually the last instruction that, that Paul gives Timothy in Timothy 3, 14. And it reads like this. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. In this last instruction to Titus, Paul says, look, I, I've asked you to appoint spiritual leaders with Christ-like character. I've asked you to confront troublemakers and, and to discharge false teachers. I've asked you to uh, encourage the believers to live godly lives based on the grace of God and, and uh, exercise personal discipline. Now, once you've done all those things, what, what we are expecting is field excellence, this intense and urgent training that Titus is instituting needs to result in action. Our people, he says, Christ followers, the people in the church should devote themselves to doing what is good, provide for urgent needs, and then live 
productive lives. That's the expected outcome. I want to share with you, as we go through this chapter, three things that I think would help us to understand uh, what, what is being said and what we can apply to our lives. The first one is that our behavior displays to whom we belong. The way that we behave says something about who we are, doesn't it? So if we belong to the light, which is shine, even if it's this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. And, and so Paul wants Titus to remind believers in Crete that our behavior displays to whom we belong. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. It says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Remind people, Paul tells Titus, that because we belong to Christ, it should show in our behavior. And then he lists six things that, that are examples, that are characteristics of, of, of those that belong to Christ. They should be subject to rulers and authorities. That means they should be respectful to those that are, that are placed in positions of authority in the school and in the city and, and in the state and beyond. Those that, that are there placed by God, be subject to them, respect them, be good law-abiding citizens, be obedient. Obedient to whom? Well, first of all, to God. Those that are children of God should be marked by obedience to the Father and then to those that he has placed in authority, spiritual or otherwise. Always ready to do good. There ought to be this readiness to do good because we belong to a good God. Slander no one. Don't go around bad-mouthing people, even if you don't like them. Slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate. Be a lover, not a fighter. Everyone's trying to pick fights. You do your best to try and get along with others. And then be gentle to everyone. Be gentle to everyone, believers and unbelievers alike. This week I posted verse two on social media to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. And I put a caption that said, I wonder how social media would be different if Christians would follow this. And I got a couple of likes. And then Paul also lists the behaviors that were characteristic of people before they were saved. When they belonged to someone else, there were other types of behaviors that characterize us. And he lists them here. Foolishness, disobedience, the opposite of obedience. We were deceived and enslaved by our passions and pleasures, our, our self ruled the day and then we got caught in that bondage. We were full of malice and envy. We were hated and we were haters, Paul says. Before you met Christ, maybe some of these things characterized you. If you don't know Christ, maybe this is the stuff of every day for you. We can't expect the world to behave like Christ. Sometimes Christians think if we just tell the world how they should behave, they'll behave the right way. But if they don't have Christ, they're going to behave this way. 
That's how we behave when we belong to the darkness. But now we belong to the kingdom of light. We belong to Christ. And our behavior displays to whom we belong. I, Monica and I kind of joke around my wife, Monica, uh, because she, she's an intense shopper. She doesn't spend a lot of money, but she's serious about the sport. She, she knows exactly what she wants. She never pays full price for anything. She, she's focused, she, she wants quality, she wants to examine things, she wants managers to treat her well, she wants customers not to get in her way. And so, when she goes to the store, she says, I'm gonna go to Home Goods. I said, okay, but remember that you're a pastor's wife, so behave like one. And she goes, okay. And it's kind of a joke, you know, I say, you know, you never know who works at the store or whose customers go to Calvary. And they know you. She goes, I know, I know. And it's kind of a joke for us, but, but it's kind of a reminder, you know, in the Bible here, you know, more important than be, behaving like a pastor's wife, we ought to behave like children of the Heavenly Father. And then secondly, our salvation determines who we are. Although our behavior matters, that's not where the Christian faith begins. We don't become Christians by behaving well. That's morality, that's not Christianity. On the contrary, we became Christians when we were not good. Verse four, it says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I love the way this passage begins in, in verse four. But, but, that's, that's the gospel in one word. You were foolish, you were disobedient, you were enslaved to passions and pleasures, you were full of malice and envies, you were haters, but, but when the kindness and love of God in Christ showed up, things change. The world was in darkness and in brokenness, but when history was split in half by the Christ event, but when time and space was interrupted by the eternal and the invisible. The world was in trouble and lost and far away from God, but when that human experience was, was broken through by divine exuberance, something changed, everything changed. The kind of God that did this. Someone tweeted this week, pastor said, God is better at finding than you are at hiding. He's better at pursuing than you are at running. He's better at forgiving than you are at messing up. That's our God. That's the difference he makes regardless of how long we hide, regardless of how fast we run, regardless of how bad we mess up. But when the kindness and love of Christ appeared, he found us, he rescued us. I once was lost, 
but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God's salvation changes who I am. God's saving act changes who you are. What God did at the cross in Christ and in the empty tomb changes your identity, determines your identity. Our salvation determines who we are. So who are we? Who are we? Well, thank you for asking. Because the Bible tells us who we are right here. First place, we're saved by the mercy of God. Verse five, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, not because we behaved, not because we were good church going people. He saved us because of his mercy. That means God loved us unconditionally. God saw you before, before you even knew how, how to do good. He decided to love you. When you gave your back to him, when we were far away from him, God loved you by his mercy. Mercy means not getting what we deserve, not getting what's coming to you. And God said, because of my mercy, instead of judgment, what I will bring is forgiveness. What I will bring is salvation. What I will bring is rescue because of his mercy. Who are we? We are saved by the mercy of God. We are loved unconditionally by God. Who are we? We're reborn by the work of the Spirit. The latter part of verse five says he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not only did he forgive us, not only did he not give us what was coming to us, but he made us new. He gave us a new start. He washed us. He, he wiped the slate clean. He deleted everything on that hard drive and gave us a new hard drive. A new beginning, a new start. Not, not only he, he wiped it clean, but he gave us the power to become new, new creatures by his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, the washing, the regenerating, the power to live new lives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Who are we? We are reborn by the work of the Spirit. Who are we? We are heirs by the grace of Christ so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. To be justified means to be declared righteous. That means that, that in the work of salvation, that when God looks at you, if you have received this gift of salvation in Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees a saint. He has justified you. He has made you righteous so that, so that you can be an heir of eternal life, so that you can join him in a place that is completely holy where no sinners are allowed, where no sin can go in. I don't know if you are in your parents or your grandparents' will or what you might be an heir to, what estate is coming to you. I don't have much that my parents left me and I don't know that I'll have much to leave my children, but I am an heir to a mansion in heaven. I am an heir to a place that has streets of gold. I am an heir to a place where there's no pain or death, where there's no earthquakes or illness, where there's no COVID and no Taliban. I am an heir 
to a place where the presence of God permeates every moment and every fiber of existence, where there's no sin, there's no malice, there's no brokenness, and there's joy. And you are too, an heir to eternal life because of the grace of Christ. Who are we? We are heirs of eternal life, saved by God's grace, reborn by the work of the Spirit, heirs by the grace of Christ. You see the Trinity there? The mercy of the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of Jesus Christ. Who are we? We are, our identity is found in the Trinity, having chosen us, saved us, and kept us until the end. We are children of God. We find our identity in him as a redeemed people. You, you are not your past mistakes. You are not who the world says you are. You are not who social media says that you should be. You are not your failures. In fact, you're not your accomplishments. You're not what you do for a living. You're not what you do at church, whether you're a pastor or a Bible study leader or a women's leader or a men's leader. That's not ultimately who you are. That's what you might do for a season, but that's not your identity. Your identity is found in the fact that you belong to Christ. And that doesn't change. You might be a mom or a dad. You might be a policeman or a teacher. You might be a grandfather or a grandson, but that's temporary. You'll always, 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 always be a child of God. That's your identity. You are who God says you are. Sometimes we, we trip and fall because we, we try to be somebody else, because we're trying to please others, because we're trying to be good enough for others when God has said already, you are already good. I've justified you by the blood of Christ. Someone said, we are sons and daughters, but many of us act like orphans. At the core of all fear is an issue of identity. Our salvation determines who we are. Our identity is not in our performance. It's not in what others determine for us. Our identity is in what God has already determined for us before the foundation of the world. And third and final, our identity directs what we do. What we do does not determine our identity. I've already said that. But our identity does determine what we do. When we understand who we are, we will act like it. You know, if you're Team USA going to the Olympics, if you know who you are as Team USA going to the Olympics, you know you're expected to bring back some medals. Right? If you don't bring back medals, then something's wrong. Right? If you're Team Jesus, that's who you are, you're expected out of that identity to produce good works to produce redemptive acts. When we own our redeemed identity, we will act like redeemed people. We will act like redemptive people. Paul stays the source of our identity. Then he stays the things that should not flow from our identity and those that should. At the end of the chapter, verse nine, it reads like this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. 
You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. And then verse 14, which we started with, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Those are what someone has called the AAR. Pastor Chad, when we were talking about this passage, he's an army veteran. He says, you know, in the army, we had something called AAR. And I said, well, what's that? He said, it was an after action review. When we would do field exercises, so where we go on a mission, then we would come back and we would have an after action review. We would ask, what did we do? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What, what should change? How should we improve? You, you evaluate what happens. And Paul is providing an AAR list for Titus here. After you appoint elders, after you correct the mistakes in the church, after you remind Cretan believers to live in godliness, then here's a list of what is not becoming of one whose identity in Christ. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels. Avoid the minutia. Avoid the trivia. Avoid the things that make you think that you have insider knowledge that nobody else has. Avoid those rabbit trails that people are getting into on social media. Quit wasting your time in things that are unproductive, Paul says. That's not becoming of someone who's a child of God. That's not becoming of someone who's heaven bound. My wife and I make trips to Lubbock every once in a while. Did I tell you that I have a grandson there? I do. His name's Daniel. And uh, he already pushes his own little cart. And so every time we travel, it's a long way to get to Lubbock. It's like forever. It's like the, the, you know, it's equal to that promise of eternity, driving from here to Lubbock. And my wife is one of those that likes to stop. Oh, look, that's a good place to eat. Oh, look, there's an antique shop. We should stop. Oh, look, I've never been to that home goods. In fact, she knows the exit numbers. She goes, make sure we stop at exit 199. And we're like in exit 102. And I'm thinking, I, I hope she falls asleep. I just keep driving. And, and, and so we're coming up on exit 199. And she's dozing off. And I say, thank you, Lord. You're so good. And I, I'm just driving. And right when the exit, she wakes up, she goes, exit there. And I'm like, look, if we keep stopping, we're never going to get to Lubbock. And she goes, you're right. You're right. Just keep driving. And, uh, and we are mindful of this. Look, when your destination is worthwhile, then the details in the journey mean less. When your destination is worthwhile, the details of the journey mean less. We are heirs of eternal life. So we, we set our eyes on our destination and we quit wasting our time in things that don't matter in the light of eternity. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he tells him to, to avoid divisive people, people who, who bring about division in the church. He says, they're on the wrong side of God's kingdom. Warn them. Give them a second chance. But, but, but if they keep doing that, have nothing to do with them, they are self-condemned. 
Divisive people are those who, who bring about division in the church. Or they're also those that, that can get people to unite around the wrong thing. Those are divisive people too. Pastor of Park City's church in Dallas, Jeff Warren, tweeted something this week that I thought was right on point. He said, be careful that you don't unite with others because you share the same fears. Instead, unite around common interests and passions for the common good. And I think that's what Paul's saying right here. Those whose identity is in Christ will devote themselves to what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. The AAR, the after action review, is that those who are redeemed act redemptively. We are saved in order to do good, to meet needs, and to lead productive lives. Some people think that the, that the purpose of getting saved is so that we can be blessed, so that we can grow, and so that we can be fed. That the purpose of belonging to the church is that, and, and there is that. If you belong to, to God's family, you will be blessed, you will grow, you will be fed. But that's not the ultimate purpose. Some people think, oh, if, if we're Christians, if we belong to the church, then, then the purpose of that is, is, is to demand our rights from the world. So they know that, that we're here and, and that we hold the right beliefs and the right morality. There's nothing in the scripture that says that that's our purpose. In fact, the scripture says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. It's not so that we can just be good people, goody two-shoes people, no, no, no. It's that there is a kingdom that is advancing. There is a kingdom of light that is advancing against the kingdom of darkness and the way to advance that is not by complaining, it's not by whining, it's not by feeling victimized, it is by doing good because God is good. Jesus tells a parable of God at the end of the age as a judge when he separates the, the righteous from the unrighteous. And when God sits on his throne at the end of the age and he's separating, he doesn't ask those that are in front of him what church they belong to. He doesn't ask them what was their denominational identity. He doesn't ask them what side of the controversy were you on? Mask or no mask? What, what side of, of the issue were you on? What argument did you get into? He, he doesn't ask, what, what was your political affiliation? You know the one thing that God asked at the end of the age, he says, did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the sick? Did you clothe the naked? Did you visit the prisoner? Because if you did, that proves that you belong to me. And if you didn't, that proves that you didn't belong to me. At the end of it all, field excellence is about representing the heart of Jesus, doing good. I was so blessed this past Thursday to be a part of a, what our Spanish service did in South Far, almost in Las Milpas. They, they went to the park and uh, they gathered children and they did face painting and made snow cones for them and served them popcorn. They told them a Bible story. And then as they left, 
they gave him a backpack full of school supplies. They gave away Bibles. And they told them, God loves you. In the midst of all the controversies and the craziness going on in our world, there were these children at this park that know that God loves them and that Calvary Church shows that love. Twelve teenagers prayed to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. Our identity directs what we do. We are God's redeemed people in order to be God's redemption agents in the world. Chosen, called, saved, sanctified that we might do good. For, for some in our church, that means standing in the gap for, uh, for Afghanis. And, and they've done that seriously. For, for some, that means that they're looking for opportunities to, to work in disaster relief in Haiti. For some, it means uh, distributing food at the Bread of Life here on Saturdays. For some, uh, it, it means going to Reynosa and being in the red light district so that women who lived uh, an immoral life now, but for the kindness and love of God, can become a new creature. One of our lay people from our church is doing that. For some, it means making a hot meal for a family that has had COVID. Whatever it is, the call is to do good. Someone sent me a devotional about cicadas and I was thinking about the fact of how many times during our day do we see cicadas. I don't. The little bitty creatures like this, I don't see them, but I know they're there. You may not see them every day, but you know they're there and you know there's a bunch of them. They make themselves known because they make the sound that they were designed to make. And you cannot ignore them. And I wonder if all the children of God lived according to our design, how we could make ourselves known as little and as insignificant as we might feel sometimes, that the world will know what Jesus told his disciples in the same way, that your light so shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, let us not be known by what we're against. Let us not be known by what makes us angry or anxious. Let us not be known by who we hate. Let us not be known by what we complain about. Let us be known by our good deeds so that the world will see our good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Would you stand with me? I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but I want to invite you to respond. Maybe, maybe the one thing that you need to do today is to, to get your identity in Christ. You've been trying to find it in, in what you do, in your performance, in your religion, and in, in something else. But today you want to say, I want my identity to be secure in Christ. I want to trust in my Savior and Lord. And you can do that. It's an act of faith. God has taken care of everything for you. You just simply have to open your heart and say, yes, Lord. Yes, I receive it. Maybe you're already a believer and today you need to remember who you are. Maybe there's been lies that have been spoken to you. The enemy has been whispering lies about what you should be or what happened to you or what you can't do anymore, what position you wish you had or what job should have been yours or what opportunities have been lost. And today, the voice of the Spirit says to you, 
You are my beloved. You are my beloved child. I've loved you since before you were born. And I will never love you any less or any more than I love you now. Rest in that identity. And then when you own that, then live out of it. If you're a redeemed one, then be redemptive in the world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this church. Now help us to respond in faith and obedience to what you're saying to us. As we sing, I want to invite you to respond, to claim what's yours in Christ. So take this time to say yes to him.